Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we only have an hour to do this, so we're going to try to go a little quick. We spent two hours this morning going over some of the things in the news and the fact that the kingdom is at hand. Nobody should be telling you it's coming in 2,000 years. It was not postponed. God was not caught by surprise. The Jews did accept Jesus Christ. Some Jews did not. Some Jews did. All the apostles were Jews. The 70 were Jews. The 120 were Jews. The early Christians, 2,000 one day, 3,000 the next. And of course, we're talking only the heads of families when they're talking 2,000 and 3,000. So that's 5,000 families. That's 20, 30, 40,000 people because heads of families were the grandfathers and their sons and their unmarried daughters. That's a family. So, That is just a matter of history. That's just a matter of fact. And anybody should be able to figure that out with just minimum study. But the reality is you are kept from studying to show yourself approved by false churches that are giving you a watered-down gospel and delivering you back into the bondage of Egypt, back into the predictions and warnings of the apostles to be entangled again in the elements of the world to be entangled in the elements of bondage, to return to Egypt. You've done all that, and now you have need of repentance. So we talked about that a lot this morning. We equated it to what's going on in the news, which is they think, some people think, that it's a good idea to throw statues over and bust them up, and they all cheer like somehow or other they have done something righteous. They are just virtue signaling. They are not doing anything righteous. They are actually turning themselves over to the spirit of destruction. The, 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 spirit, uh, the spirit of perfect savages. This is why you see the same people that are doing this are also going in and, and looting stores by the hundreds, by the thousands all across the country. They just smash in the front doors and they run in and start sealing everything in sight uh, and taking it out, screen TV shoes they don't even need. Then they'll set the place on fire. They wreck everything because they have given over to the spirit of destruction. We saw this coming for many years. It has popped up its head. I've never seen it quite this bad, except for maybe the Civil War when Sherman marched to the south. <laughs> but there reality is is that we're in the midst of a spiritual warfare and you need to choose sides <laughs> so what what was going on in Israel in ancient times and we talked a great deal and showed that it isn't the statues you should be overturning it's the statutes you should be overturning but you don't have the majority to do that we mentioned Dr. Shiva who's going to be in Massachusetts some of our people are going to be there Some of the people in congregations are going to be there. And uh, I think it's a futile effort, but sometimes even a futile effort is what you need to do. But he wants to get elected, introduce a bill in to prevent us from going down the next road, which is forced vaccinations, forced medical treatment. 
Uh, I mean, you're already being forced to wear masks all the time. If you want to know who the zombies are, the zombies are all wearing masks because they have accepted an idea that we need to wear these masks. 99% of the masks that are out there, they are not going to stop the virus. Like they say, you know, like a, a, a mosquito going through a chain link fence. The size and proportion is inadequate. The masks that could actually stop a virus, you should not wear all day. <laughs> because it's it's going to be detrimental to your health. I know people personally, people who've gotten pleurisy, people who have uh, lung problems, you wear a mask all day and you are liable to have end up with an infection between your lung walls and cavity of your body. And you could be in a lot of trouble. But they've got you doing this. they got you jumping through these hoops. So the question is, what's the next hoop? <laughs> and how are you going to avoid it? You don't get mad. You get wise. You don't get woke. You awaken. And this is what people need to do and need to understand. So I talk about all this. And I I lay, leave little breadcrumbs in the conversations that we have where I'm, I'm talking. And I say it's a conversation because I get lots of feedback from people all over the United States, all over the world. And now I take what they say and that helps me know what I need to say. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit. So I gave you a few things this morning uh, laying out basically what I went through just now. The idea that uh, if you're going to start tearing down every statue of everybody had anything to do with slavery at any time, you wouldn't start with uh, Robert E. Lee. It certainly wouldn't start with Columbus. You don't even know who these people are. Robert E. Lee freed all his slaves before the war even started. And he only had those slaves because he inherited them. He didn't go out and buy them. He didn't buy them from slavers or anything like that. He inherited them because of a relative dying without a will. And he ended up inheriting an estate and because he was closestly related to him, And he freed the slaves. Ulysses S. Grant kept his slave until after the war and only freed him because he had to because of political pressure. So if you're going to take down Robert E. Lee's <laughs> statue... Uh, you need to take down Grant's tomb. And the reality is is that these statues from Christopher Columbus to these different generals, they're not put up because of what the people did wrong. They're put up because of what the people did right. But you haven't been taught what they did right. You haven't been taught about them in your schools Because you go to public school and even your private schools are heavily influenced by the people writing history books for the last 100 years. 1908, men sat down and started trying to figure out a way to change the way in which Americans view history. This was uncovered in a government investigation. And we we tell about it. We show you some of the people that were involved in the investigation and some of their videos that they made in interviews before they passed away. Because this all happened a long time ago. I had discovered it simply by going back and reading every history book I could find from the 1800s, starting mostly with grade school and high school history books. And I discovered they somebody's changing the way in which we perceive history. I didn't know it was a conspiracy. I just saw the changes. I was led 
to read these books, find these books in, in all sorts of strange little places. And I accumulated them. I read them and found out, wait a minute, this history is different here. So I stopped reading a lot of history books. I still read a few now and then. But I started actually going to the documents of those times to find out what was really going on, including personal letters, private letters, always knowing in context who's writing the letter and to whom and at what point in his life. All these things matter because facts matter. Because it gives you an insight into the progression of the individual. I talk about anomaly on Facebook. I share a lot of his stuff. Because I've watched his progression on Facebook over the years. Now, something I've seen recently in Anomaly, if this goes to him, uh, he might find it of interest, is that you, and we talked about it this morning, this principle of living in a cause and effect universe. And I, I said the line that if it wasn't for the innocence of Scout, Atticus Finch would have been killed by the mob. He would not have succeeded in stopping the mob. It wasn't his courage. It wasn't even his calmness. It was the innocence of Scout that saved him. You, if you are going to be a judge, you need the innocence of Scout, Scout, the courage of Atticus Finch, and the knowledge of what is right. One of the things Atticus Finch was not very good at figuring out people. He he was a little weak in that area. But when they talk in the Bible, and I quoted this morning, uh, Judges 2, verse 17, and people heard me quote it, and you can go back and listen to Keys of the Kingdom. You look for our podcast. All these things will be available. That won't be available for a week and a half after because that's on another station. But uh, it will precede this one by the date that it's that it's made. And it will go out with the Keys of the Kingdom podcast. So get on the network. Sign up for whatever podcast you use. Look for Keys of the Kingdom. And you can hear these. But I talked about... Verse 17, and yet they would not hearken unto the judges. That's what it says. Who's the judges? But they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed down themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. That's what their fathers did. But they did not so. That's where Christianity is today. It is not obeying and following in the way of Jesus Christ. And we will show you that before this little short series is over. The verse before that, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. There's that word judges again. Now there's more than one word translated judges in the Bible. And even though there's a root word involved, there are always extra letters. Not always, but a lot of times there's extra letters or they take a letter away or they rearrange letters. And you won't know this by looking at a regular concordance. You have to actually look at original texts or as as, as original as they get. But every letter in Hebrew language has a meaning. They don't put the words together with letters. They don't put the letters together with to make these words based on usage. 
They base it on the meaning of the letters. Hebrew was an invented language. It was not, it's basically a pictorial language, very similar to Chinese and Japanese, except it has only about 24, 26 letters, maybe a little bit more if you count how they use letters at the end of words and in the midst of words they change a few letters, but it's basically the same letters. But some of the letters are composed of other letters. And that means that those letters, like the Aleph, is actually a Vav, or it's actually, we'll say it this way, it's a Yod, a Vav, and a Yod. <laughs> so, they have two Yods, one right side up, one upside down, and a Vav in between them. Vav is used to connect ideas, and is also used to divide ideas. So, anyway... That just gives you a little insight into it. I'm not going to go into a whole Hebrew lesson, lesson, but why did he say, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges? Well, what was going on before that? If you go all the way back to verse 12, and they forsook the Lord of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. What was the land of Egypt? It was a land in which you were in bondage. One fifth of all your labor belonged to the state. You had to give one fifth of your labor to the state. No more, supposedly, although they fudged it a little bit through crafts of state. At least that's what it says in the Bible, or seems to say in the Bible when you read it in the Hebrew. But in the land of Egypt, you were in bondage. You did not own all your labor. Some of your labor was yours to do with as you will, but at least one-fifth of it went to the Pharaoh. That was the bondage of Egypt. Do you know any countries that do something similar to that? (laughs) Well, of course, just about every country in the world does something similar to that. A portion of your labor belongs to the state. They will take the value of your labor. It's called a Corvi system of statutory bondage. They will take a portion of your labor and they will reap the benefit of it, supposedly to redistribute wealth. Now, in some countries, you'll find... Only 20% is what they take. In some countries, until recently, there are some countries, like Egypt itself under Mubarak, 20% went to the government, whether you made uh, $10,000, $100,000, or a million dollars. 20% went to the government. I don't believe that's the case now. I haven't gone and looked it up. It doesn't really matter. But I can guarantee you in other countries like France and Sweden, in places in Sweden at one time, it got so out of hand, you actually owed more taxes than you made. You could actually owe the government more money than you made at the end of a tax year. (laughs) That's how bad the taxes got. They rolled that back. They got carried away with this socialist idea of the government owning your labor, the the means of production, and they rolled this back. And so now they're kind of got a mix of socialism and free market. And they're surviving with it. But they're taking a toll in another area. I've told the story before of uh, some guys who went to Sweden set up an automobile with a recording inside in a way of rocking the vehicle. So you thought somebody was in there. And the recording inside was a woman being attacked. And they had all the windows fogged up and they just parked it on the side of the road. And they waited for passerbys and then they activated the uh, recording and the commotion in the car. And individual after individual sped up, went by quickly. Nobody called for help. Nobody did anything. Until finally they got two guys 
who forced their way into the car and trying to save the girl. I guess there was a guy in the car, but he was just by himself. There was no girl. He was just playing a recording. And uh, he was the one shaking the car, as I remember. But anyway, they they dragged the guy out and they went to look in the car to find where the girl was that he was attacking. There was no girl in there and they were trying to figure out what was going on. And the cameraman rolled up really quick and said, hey, 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 don't, don't hurt him. And they said, this is a social experiment to see who would stop. Nobody would stop. Nobody would stop. Finally, these two guys stopped. They weren't even from Sweden. <laughs> there was one other lady who stopped and did something. But they went through individual after individual. Nobody stopped. That is a product of socialism. Because you don't have to care about yourself. That is the problem of having uh, depend upon a police force. I have nothing against the police force. A lot of them do a really good job. But the reality is, is that if right now, of all the writers who think that black lives matter, uh, let's not say writers, let's say peaceful protesters, all the peaceful protesters who believe that black lives matter, they would be stopping and assisting the police in stopping the rioters breaking down these doors and going in and looting stores and burning stores and, and beating up people on the street. They would be stopping them from doing that. They would form a human wall if they're all that peaceful and they really want peace and stop these violent thugs from taking advantage of the police force being overwhelmed. They aren't doing that because of a lot of reasons. But it's the same reason why 50% of the murders in the black community are committed by blacks on blacks and are not 50% of the murders in the black community, 50% of the murders in the United States. Uh, 44, depending on, or to 50% of the murders are committed by a group of people. If you want to group all blacks together, and I think that's absolutely unjust because I know they're not all this way. So you're probably only talking about maybe 6% of the black community is committing all the murders. They're the ones that are killing black people. It isn't white cops. That is not the one who's, that the, they are less likely to kill a black person by statistics that were gathered by black scholars and statisticians. But this same problem of the spirit of destruction, the spirit of lies, the adversary of God, the adversary of Christ, was going on back there in that verse 12. They were no longer, they forsook the God that took them out of the land of Egypt. How did he take them out of the land of Egypt? He taught them how to care about one another as much as they care about themselves, which is why the Pharaoh was heart was hardened so he wasn't going to let them out of Egypt. I'm not going to let your people go. Why are they his people? Because he was the rightful Pharaoh. Moses was the rightful Pharaoh. The Tutin Moses. But they called him Moses not because he was the rightful Pharaoh but because he was drawn from the water because the word actually in the Hebrew means drawn from the water. The Tutin Moses was not drawn from the water really. Well, and if we go into all the Egyptian gods, we could say that kind of that was the symbolism of those days. But they tell you that that's not why they call Moses because he was not a pharaoh over them although he had the right to be. Like Gideon, he would not rule over the people. He showed them how to be a free people by setting up a structural system where they could take care of the needy of their society without having to pay by forced contract, that was what it was, an agreement, to pay 
20% of your labor to the government. You didn't have to do that because the people who wanted to be free knew that they had to sacrifice for one another. They had to love one another. They had to care about one another. And that's what that's how they got out of Egypt. Once they learned how to do that, the Pharaoh wanted them out of there because what they had learned was now spreading to the rest of the Egyptians because the rest of the Egyptians were also in bondage. Before the famines, they weren't. After the depression or famines or whatever you want to call it, they were. Same thing went on in America. Back in, there was no income tax for private individuals back in 1920. And that was after 1916 and after 1913 and all the events that took place in there. There wasn't any income tax for the individual who was not, you know, a fiduciary of a corporation. Corporations were taxed. But individuals were not taxed on their labor because you still owned your labor. Then all of a sudden, now you could be taxed on your labor. Nobody noticed because you had to make $10,000 before you would be even taxed a small amount. Now, you did get like a 1.5% tax on your Social Security, but that wasn't very much. certainly wasn't 10% or 15% like it is now. It was only a small portion of... And so people saw that, but they also saw benefits paid out right away. There never was a trust fund. There never was a... We explain all that. But let's get to this basic... Why I'm bringing up judges and how the judges work and what the judges are. When I say judges, that's going to mislead you because you're going to think judges like you see in a courtroom. That's not the kind of judges these guys were. These were... Judges like a combination of Scout and Atticus Finch. If you don't know the reference, go read the book To Kill a Mockingbird. To, to Kill a Mockingbird, or go see the movie before HBO takes it down, thinking it's racist or something. But anyway, in verse thirteen, he says, "And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth." And I won't get into Ashtaroth, but Baal. If you want to know who Balaam is. The, who the Nicolaitans are, go read our articles on Nicolaitans or Balaam, same article, because Balaam, the ways of Balaam, the ways of the Nicolaitans is the same way that they were going here. And that they're forsaking the ways of the Lord for these other ways, these other systems of government. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. So that's what, because they turned away from the ways of God and did not live by faith, hope, and charity, but started going the ways of Nimrod and Balaam and the Nicolaitans, God was going to allow them to be delivered into the hands of bondage. So anyway, he, and and you can call them in enemies, but we can look at the Hebrew word for that at some other time. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Now comes verse 16. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hands of those that spoiled them. He's trying to teach them a lesson. Who are these judges? What are they doing? 
How are they affecting you? If we go down to verse 18, which I haven't read uh, earlier this morning. And when the Lord raised them up, judges, then the Lord was with the judges and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. We're talking serious oppression. We could go on to the other verses and they mention judges that, uh, in that too. But we're just going to take a look at the word judges to try to find out what that means to get a little bit of insight. Now, the like I said, there's more than one word that's translated judges or judge. Even the word Elohim is translated judge in a few places in the Bible. Just surprisingly, all of a sudden they do that. The, the word Elohim is normally translated God. And it's the same word you see as when they say God's many. Or in the Greek, they'll use the word theos. It can be translated God's G-O-D-S, small g, or capital G-O-D. Same word. What it means is ruling judges. Elohim means ruling judge. And... uh Theos means ruling judge. But the word here is not those words. It's completely different words. It's Shaphat. Shaphat is completely different letters. It's not the same as Elohim. It's not the same as Theos. So what does it mean? <laughs> so, For one thing, if you look it up in most concordance, they, they will just write the word down as Shaphat. And it's uh, three letters. Shem, Phi, which is uh, sometimes in English should be spelled P-E-I. And then the last one is Tet. And when you hear the T sound, like in Shaphat, you might think that the ends in the letter Tav, which also has the T sound. Again, Hebrew has no vowels in it, really. And it's because it wasn't written to be spoken. It was written to be written. They later on created a way of which to pronounce the words so that you'd be able to talk about them and say the words. But that's why there's a lot of uh, and spitting and trying to speak Hebrew because they're putting in all these extra sounds. But the letter's trying to tell you something. The Shin letter. It means the eternal flame of revelation. Revelation is key to, I mean, Holy Spirit is your comforter. That, the Holy Spirit is to reveal things to you. Give you eyes to see and ears to hear. This is a mystery, but not really a mystery to those who live it, as to how God communicates with people. You know, Moses was told things by God. Noah was told things by God. Despite the uh, Bill Cosby record, you, he did not actually hear a ding and then hear the voice of the Lord. He received revelation. And he realized things that other people seeing the same facts did not realize. So this is this is what Shem means. The eternal flame of that revelation. The spark of that revelation. The, the, the letter Shem is actually composed of several other letters as well. But it also is defined, and we have a page at Preparing You that just kind of runs through the basics of this, giving these basic definitions of each of the letters. And then you have to put them together. Where they appear in the Word, what letters they appear with, all these things will make a difference as to the meaning of the Word. So, it's the eternal flame of revelation, 
bound to the coal of righteousness. In other words, there is no flame without righteousness. If you're not seeking the kingdom of God in his righteousness, which means you have to be able to admit when you're self-righteous, so that you can see the righteousness of God, your flame will go out and you will lose sight. You will not see what you saw before. You will actually, your memory will go. You will not remember what you learned about God. It will, it will vacate your mind. And I don't care if you write it down, when you write it down and read it back, you won't know what it meant because it's gone. Because that flame of revelation is a gift from God. And and we're going to mention a few things that help that flame go out so that you can avoid those things. Because <laughs> you you can't kindle the flame. It's it's from the Holy Spirit. And God lists us where he wills. But you can put the flame out <laughs> if you go the wrong way. So anyway, and then the other word, the other phrase that describes this is divine essence. And in, in physical terms... Because all these words have a abstract meaning and a physical meaning. They can also have to do with the sun, which of course is a source of light and eternal flame. Teeth, which uh, is, you know, the grinding of the teeth. You know, they have these metaphors that you see and consume and destroy. So as the sun can give life, it can also consume and destroy. As coal and fire can give warmth, it can also burn down your house and destroy so that power of that coal of righteousness has a power. Scout had that power when she entered onto the scene with uh, Atticus Finch, her father. She brought with her the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand that this is a movie and it's a story in a book and it's, it's their acting. But I'm telling you that that is a real thing. And the judges had that shin, that eternal flame of revelation. These are people raised up with the eternal flame of revelation and the coal of righteousness so that they had the divine essence where they went. And it allowed them to bring power into a room that would not have come in without their presence. Okay, the next uh, letter is this pi or phi, uh, P-E-I, communication is what it means. Oral Torah, the mouth, uh, the blowage, uh, they call it. Mouth, speak, open words. Well, when God speaks, things are created. Life is created. Life is given. Healing, healing takes place. When someone who has the eternal flame of God in their heart and their mind and the innocence of Scout, <laughs> they, can't, when they speak, God speaks with them. If they speak on God's behalf, they, if it's their words, they will lose energy and the energy will not come. They don't have any kind of magical chanting or anything like that. But they can impart the Holy Spirit if they stay rooted in the Holy Spirit and don't run out ahead of the Lord. The third letter is Tet which is defined as introversion, the concealed power of good, or the paradoxical evil to twist a snake. That's because of the shape of the tet. Of course, supposedly, he's supposed to be able to 
smash the head of the serpent to twist the snake the the reality is that these all these powers or these influences can represent both good and evil if you have them in the right combination you know the flame of revelation and the coal of righteousness speaking with the oral torah where you're actually speaking the word of god not this memorized words but actually speaking by that revelation and putting that revelation into play into uh, the world a concealed power will be transmitted through the speaking of those words but it doesn't do any good to translate it if there's no receiver <laughs> and that receiver is you now what I want to share with you is those are not the only letters in the word of judges in those particular stories and that particular context there are other letters in it as well and one of those letters is the Yod. And another of those letters is a Tav. And the last of those letters is a Mem. So those of you who have listened for a while, the Yod is the divine spark. That's why you have two a Yod, two Yods and a Bav in the letter Elif. Christ is the Elif, the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Well, in the letter Elif, you have the Yod, which is that, that's what you're seeing in that famous painting of God reaching out and touching the hand of Adam, the fingertip of Adam, is that, that principle of receiving the divine spark from God. And you either are divided from it or connected to it by the Vav. And where that Elif shows up, in other words, but here we just have a Yod behind the Tet. And the next letter behind that is the Tav. And the Tav is the letter of faith. That you you only get a Yod, a spark, and you have to act upon that faith. And the last letter is the Mem. And what is the letter Mem? It's always the flow. The flow of that life. God gives to you, you give to others. If God gives you revelation... To tell the world and you do not tell the world. Then the mem is gone. You've removed the mem and you are no longer the judge of God. But if you if you use the mem. If you flow it out to others. In faith. According to the divine spark. Without entering into your own righteousness. And staying rooted in the righteousness of God. Then you are one of the judges. And there will be power in what you say. But not so much power in what you say to take away the faith of others because they need faith too they need to operate by faith but your faith is to strengthen their faith so that they become uh, ultimately the good leader leads people to learn to be led by the same divine spark he's not trying to become a ruler I and my family will not rule over you so saith Gideon so acteth Moses so is Jesus Christ. He would not let them crown him as a ruler who could exercise authority one over the other. He had authority, but he isn't going to exercise authority over the individuals. Now, he did give some commands to his early church, his appointed kingdom. He, I appoint unto you a kingdom, he said to the apostles. But he said, you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. And, of course, 
that is what they that's how they acted. They did not force the contributions of the people like the rest of the governments. They operated by free will offerings only. Paul shamed them a little bit now and then, you know, telling them that you guys in Corinth don't, you, you give the least of all the <laughs> communities. I think it was Corinth that he was picking on. Galatia, which was a poorer one, was giving more than Corinth. So anyway, uh, the reality was is he was Serving the networks of tens, hundreds, and thousands, the church was organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands because Christ commanded his church to make the people organize themselves in that manner. And that way they could redistribute the wealth of the people to where it was needed. But the wealth of the people could not be extracted from the people. It had to be charity. had to be free will offerings. That distinction will determine whether you're going the way of Baal, the way of Balaam, the way of the Nicolaitans, or the way of Christ. Today, the modern church tells all the people, go the way of Balaam, go the way of Nimrod, go the way of Cain, except come to church and tie it to us. If you need anything, don't come to us, go to the government, the men who exercise authority one over the other. Even though Christ told you not to be that way. So, what I've done is I've written a whole page, and I probably have to go over. I found typos in it as I was talking this morning. And it's this page on statues, because people are tipping over statues. And I, like I said, I already talked two hours about why this is nonsense and uh, makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> and is actually counterproductive. It's actually leading you to the road to destruction. Because you should never trust the spirit of destruction. And uh, that's what they're acting from. So this second section was the mob is born. And so the mob is born. And and I finished that up with this statement. That the innocence of Scout could not have saved Atticus Finch. If he did not have the courage to stand against the mob. So he had to have the courage to stand against the mob. But what saved him was the innocence of Scout. If he had the innocence of Scout in him, then he could have, he would not have needed Scout. (laughs) Which is probably why Christ sent all the apostles out in groups of two. Because sometimes one guy gets worked up and the other one has to say, calm down. So what my warning this morning was that you cannot get angry at the rioters you cannot get angry at the uh, at the demonstrators who are facilitating the rioters. You can't even get angry at the abominable news people that are working the rioters and the the others up with false information. We already showed you how a lot of their information is inciting people and and being uh, the people are rushing to judgment, which is another thing the Bible is telling us not to do: is to rush to judgment. So the next section is countries of the South. Uh, There were racists in the South and in the North. But most of the people fighting in the South against the people who came from the North were clearly patriots fighting for their country and states' rights. Now when I say for their country, what was their country? What country was Robert E. Lee fighting for? The, The Confederate States? Well, Confederate Confederate states are not a country. Confederate states are a confederacy. 
It's not a separate country. The country that Robert E. Lee was fighting for was Virginia. That that was the country. Most people don't understand that because that's been deleted from your history books. I, I watched as they deleted that from your history books. And so you get people still saying, and I quote, I just picked out a quote uh, from somebody writing about this whole topic and trying to justify the idea of destroying statues and stuff like that, like somehow that's doing good. The American Civil War started due to the secession, basically the succeeding of the South, the southern states, from the federal government. And then they went on to say that they formed a new federal government, the Confederate States of America, except for a confederation is not really a federal government like the United States. They had a confederation in America before the creation of the Constitution of the United States and people feared the creation of the Constitution of the United States because it was a federal government. The Confederation was just a group of states and you could leave a confederacy anytime you wanted. You could They could actually leave the American uh, federal government, the U.S. federal government. Also, there was no nothing illegal about the idea of seceding from the Union. They could do that. That was a legal thing to do. That's not what the fight was about. The fight was about the way in which they did that. And if you really want to know how this all works, you can read the five, six, seven volume, I don't remember how many volumes there is, I can't even remember right now, of Carl Sandburg's Lincoln. And he, he really adds a lot of information, quotes a lot of sources. This is back when people were still writing real history books, long before people like Howard Zinn, who was writing fake history books, false history books, giving people a false notion of history. But you get all these mindless kids who don't even know history in, in high school and in colleges, and they think they, you know, are oppressors. Nonsense. The the problem in the black community has nothing to do with white oppression. It has to do with the seduction of socialism. That's what's destroyed the white community. And it's it's working on, excuse me, the black community. It's working on the white community. It's even the Asian community are seeing the same results of this socialist state breaking down the families even in the Asian communities, which used to be really strong. The Asian communities that came from like uh, Vietnam and uh, and other parts of you know Korea before that, they did pretty good, but they're even suffering from the ill effects of socialism breaking down their families now. The reality is Lyndon Baines Johnson, LBJ as you call them, targeted the black community, and uh, during the Depression, FDR targeted the black community to get the black vote and it and that's when all the most blacks were all republicans but when he started giving out those gifts gratuities and benefits and they thought it was their salvation they started moving over to the democratic party that wasn't the solution martin luther king had a better view although martin luther king even toyed with uh toyed with socialism and communism but he didn't get a chance to talk to me or I talked to him. I could have probably straightened him out on that. And I think he might have seen reason. I don't know. It didn't get to happen. So, anyway, back to this uh, idea of fighting for your 
country, which was like Virginia, if you were from Virginia, or Texas, if you were from Texas, or whatever state you were in. Even after the Constitution, Federal Constitution was first put into place and supplanted the Articles of Confederation, which was not popular with Americans, the states were as foreign to each other as Mexico is to Canada. They were still separate countries. So the South, as a confederation, was not a country. It was a confederation of countries. That's important to understand. And, you know, I quote, famous quote, I don't know who said it, I don't know if anybody knows who says it, but uh, a Yankee soldier reportedly asked a confederate prisoner, why do you fight us so hard, Reb? And the response was, because you are here, Yank. And uh, that's what they saw. They saw the North as an invading army. And, you know, we went through a lot of this stuff before, and we've done it on other pages. I've got a lot of links in the page that I've created called Statues. I think it's called Statues. Is it plural? Yeah, it's plural. Statues. (laughs) Anyway, it has a lot of links in it to other articles to try to fill in these gaps so that you start to understand uh, how the Americans feared the U.S. Constitution was actually promoted by a minority of Americans. It was not put into place by a majority rule. The idea that we the people at the beginning of the Constitution had anything to do with the average American living in the states is nonsense. Their country was their state. That was, Their state was their country. They were not U.S. citizens. There was no such thing as a U.S. citizen in the early days. The Supreme Court ruled over and over again that the people were not a party to the Constitution. That's why it was never put to a popular vote. Had it been put to a popular vote, it would have been voted down. It was not approved. Even the first army that marched in to the South was going down there because the way in which some of the states... We're leaving the Union. You could leave the Union. But there were federal lands inside the states. Fort Sumner. It's a federal property. It was on an island inside uh, that had already been sessioned to the federal government. They owned that land. There were probably other parcels they owned also. There was uh, federal gold in the treasuries and banks in different states. That belonged to the federal government. Did They could not secede and take that with them. There were debts owed northern merchants, big companies. They bought all kinds of stuff from the north with the proceeds they got from the the farming, the tobacco and and the cotton and all that kind of stuff and other things that they produced and sold. They would buy stuff from northern merchants. Well, they owed those northern merchants and were supposed to send up Payment. Well, in those days, payment was gold and silver. Now, you could send a note up, but that note had to be cashable in a bank up there in the north. If you sent Confederate notes up and said, we've paid you, they couldn't do anything with the Confederate notes because they would have to go to the south to collect (laughs) the gold. They didn't want the note. They wanted the gold because everybody knew that only gold and silver was money. Coins were money in those days. Everybody knew that. It's in the Constitution. Nothing is for payment of debt but gold and silver. So they wanted the gold and silver. They didn't want, 
you know, the Confederate bills. They might take a U.S. bill because they could take that into a bank and cash it in for gold and silver. But they had no means by which to connect. So they had to send an army of guys down to collect that debt. That's the first army that came in. It was a lot of volunteer fire department people uh, that uh, agreed to go down. Now they're going to get paid and they're going to go down and they're going to collect the gold and silver and they're going to come back. And they went down to collect it. But the federal government thought, well, you need to have an officer with you to make this legit. And so they sent a federal officer with them. And they marched in. Nobody's bugging them because they're all armed and all this stuff. And they're not kind of a ragtag group as far as uniforms and everything are concerned. But they they knew what a militia was. And they were going down to collect money that was owed them. So they had to go down south and get it. And then take it back up. And they were armed. So nobody tried to rob them going down and coming back up. Well, somebody saw a rebel flag. Confederate flag on the top of the motel along with the state flag, a hotel. It wasn't motels in those days. And so the officer and several people went up to take that rebel flag down. They had no right to do that. That wasn't their mission. They weren't invading or conquering the South. They were still sovereign states that were separate from their state. But on their way up, the hotel manager jumped out and shot at them with a shotgun. There was probably an argument and discussion and everything like that, but eventually he fired off a, what was equivalent to a shotgun and it struck the officer. The guy next to him pulled the sword and stabbed him and killed him immediately. And that was the first death of the Civil War. When that news got to Lincoln, he wept because he knew they were headed for a conflict. Because they were creating animosity and dividing the nation. And that death did it. But uh, that didn't, you know, firing on Fort Sumner. Almost nobody died firing on Fort Sumner. They weren't trying to kill anybody. They were trying to get the Federals to vacate Fort Sumner. Not the way to do it. They shouldn't have done it that way. They should have withdrew in peace. They should have paid their debts. But they didn't want to do that. And many of them did, but some of them did not. And that was a mistake. Selfishness is not the key to freedom. It's unselfishness. How did Israel get out of the bondage of Egypt? They learned not only to take care of one another, but to take care of other Egyptians. When the government was unable to show up with their pharaoh emergency management auxiliary during the famines they were unable to cope with the difficulties of the famines the Israelites who had a heads up and were also learning to be a coordinated people not only took care of their own people according to the text Philos' text they were helping others out you want to be free you want to throw off your oppressors you need to follow that example you can't do it without the innocence of Scout and the courage of of Atticus Finch. You have to have that. But you also need wisdom of God, the revelation of God. That will come as you turn around your thinking and start realizing that Social Security, 
welfare, Medicare, Medicaid is coveting your neighbor's goods to the agencies of men who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said it was not to be that way with you. And if you go that way, according to Peter, that is a covetous practice that will curse your children and make you merchandise, human resources. So anyway, I have some quotes on the page uh, showing you that most Americans did not have any faith in the Constitution, thought it was a big mistake. We shouldn't even go that way. But like I said, it wasn't put to a vote because it, they were not a party to it. We the people had to do with congressmen, senators, and everything. Now today, you are U.S. citizens. You are only residents of your state. But that's another whole story and we're not going to be able to get into it. But the quote is, just as the revolutionary Adams opposed the Constitution. Adams opposed the Constitution in Massachusetts. So did Patrick Henry in Virginia. And the contest in the most important state of all was prolonged and bitter. He who in Stamp Act days had proclaimed that they should be no Virginians or no or New Yorkers but only Americans now declaimed as violently against the preamble of the Constitution because it begins, we the people of the United States. He says, instead of, we the states, because it was an agreement between the states, just like the Articles of Confederation. Had nothing to do with the people. We the people didn't mean them. Like many, he feared a consolidated government and the loss of states' rights. Not only Henry... Patrick Henry, but much abler men, such as Mason, Benjamin Harrison, Monroe, Robert E. Lee. No, I said Robert E. Lee. R.H. Lee, not Robert E. Lee, different guy, uh, were also opposed and debated. Others in what was the most acute discussion carried on anywhere. You aren't taught that in school. Owing to the way in which the current... current Conventions were held and the great opposition manifested everywhere. Opposition to the Constitution everywhere. The, and the management required to secure the barest majority for the ratification. It seems impossible to avoid the conclusion that the greater part of the people were opposed to the Constitution. Yet people think it's their salvation. Now it's here. You are back in bondage to the elements of the world. You are merchandise, human resources. You have cursed your children with debt and you could tell all that just by reading the news. Even the fake news people will admit all that. So, what you're back in the bondage of Egypt except it's worse with you than the bondage of Egypt because it's not 20% anymore. So anyway, the answer is to do what Moses said, what Christ said from the beginning. But you have to be willing to admit that what you previously thought is not true. So he goes on to say, and, you know, and I have references there to show you where I'm getting this. This is some of the best historians the country has ever known. Uh, far better than anybody like Howard Zinn. 
It was not submitted to the people directly. That's just a matter of historical. And the reason why is because they're not a party to it. And in those days of general limited suffrage, even those who vote for delegates to the state conventions were mostly the property class, although the amount of property called for may have been slight. Originally in the Constitution, you would not be able to vote unless you owned property in fee simple. Nobody in America owns property in fee simple. We've gone down the road so far, it's hard to get back. But you're not going, as a matter of fact, I think it's impossible to get back. But with the grace of God, and the power of that flame, and the judges of God, you can get back, but not without doing what Christ said. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Be willing to lay down your life for your fellow man. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. So anyway, we go through all that. And finally I say if you want to smash statues of pro-slave owners, then you need to destroy Grant's tomb. (laughs) And I go and explain why that is. And I've already gone over that, so we won't go over that again. I go into the idea that history is a story. And I quote Thomas Sowell. I love Thomas Sowell. That that guy is, you know, he started out as a communist, you know. I mean, socialist, communist guy, but he finally looked at the numbers. He was willing to look at the truth. And that is so rare in a man. And and that that's one of those guys who has done that. And he's smart. When you want to help people, you tell them the truth. And that's what he does. When you want to help yourself... You tell them what they want to hear. You're not going to hear that from me. So anyway, we don't, we're not going to have time to finish this. So, and I never even took a break. But the reality is, is that I want, I, hopefully I'll get some more of these programs out. So sign up for our podcasts. And uh, sign up for the network. Go on to preparingyou.com and sign up for the network. And... We'll try to get more and more of these messages out because I am backlogged with messages that I've got to get out and I've got so little help, but with God's grace, we'll get her done. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net